0: A small step that's uh, important at the end of every sermon, by the way, that is that you hear what we're saying from God's Word, and then you say, what's my action plan? Where do I go from her? How can I plug this into my life this week? Now, this series, Better Together, addresses a certain group probably better than other groups, the group that are loners. Some of you might actually be enjoying this time of not having any contact with other human beings. It's a personality thing. You either do or you don't. <laughs> and for you, this is helpful to remember, you need that human connection. Yeah, we can't do it in all the same ways right now, but that's going to end. Don't forget the lessons we're learning. That is, you need to stay in contact with other people. For those of you who think... Uh, uh, <laughs> That getting together is the be all and end all of all things, and you're complaining a lot. Understand that probably there are some things that we don't have right about why getting together is so important, and a good sharpening of our focus is probably helpful at this moment. Well, we're in a series, this is part five that talks about that very idea, better together. It's based on the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We had an introduction and then uh, four lessons that I'll review for you before we get today into lesson 5. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. In other words, we get more work done when we work together. Together is the key word. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We recover more quickly together. In other words, all of us are in the process of becoming more than we are. God's at work in us. He works best in an environment where he can use other people as instruments for that instruction, for that help, for that growth. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We feel more love together, more of God's love as well as uh, the love of one another. And now today's lesson. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. We are more confident together. Confidence is a word you're probably familiar with, but there are actually two kinds of confidence, and they're both very valuable, but one of them is not the kind I'm talking about today. You may have gone to to hear a motivational speaker, and they talked about self-confidence. You've been here before. You've done this. You've learned plenty. Um, You've got what it takes. Now go for it. Believe in yourself and reach for the stars. That's not a bad message, I could preach it myself, but not today's message. We're going to talk about something that's actually bigger than self-confidence, we call it God-confidence. Self-confidence, you see, has limited potential, it does have potential, but limited, limited by what? Well, limited by the self thing, (laughs) because you're limited, because you can only do so much, even at your best, but God has no limits. When you find yourself in Him then you find yourself tapping into an unlimited power and unlimited possibilities. Why is this important? Well, today from our lesson we learn it's important because life is a battle. Have you noticed that? Maybe some of what we're going through has highlighted that for you. Life is a struggle. You don't just uh, wake up in the morning and everything falls into place. Life doesn't work that way, does it? It is indeed a battle. And so Paul writes these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That, that's the God confidence, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh flesh and blood in other words it's not a physical battle it's not a political battle it's not an interhuman intellectual battle it's not a battle between people it's a spiritual battle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms We call this spiritual warfare. Okay? Usually, when we have an issue in our life, we usually can look at some person, institution, or something like that and think, they're the problem. But Paul reveals to us the fact if you could pull back the layer, you would see that from eternity past, there's been an eternal spiritual struggle underneath all of that. It's not a Democrat Republican struggle. It's not an American or other country nationality problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a problem and a struggle between good and evil. A favorite book of mine is called The Road Less Traveled. I don't know if you've read it or not. I actually had to read it for a psychology course I was taking. But usually when teachers recommend books, they're awful. But this one was powerful in my life I've since read it about 10 times and I've listened to it on audiobook countless times while I've run because the principles are so powerful it was written by a man by the name of Dr. M. Scott Peck and what you know how some books start out slowly <laughs> and and the key is hang in there because it gets better but these are the opening words of Peck's first chapter and I think they are so powerful says Peck. Life is difficult. This is a great truth. This is one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is in fact difficult, once we truly understand and accept that, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. He goes on to say, most of us spend all of our time moaning and complaining because we got dealt a dirty deal. Okay? We have problems nobody else has. <laughs> Somebody's put a curse on me or my family or my tribe or something like that. Nobody else has to go through what I go through. <laughs> That's how we typically see it. But the truth is... That's the way life works, or if you prefer, the way life doesn't work. (laughs) Life is supposed to be difficult. Does this sync up with Scripture? Well, in fact, it does. Pictured not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, is the fact that God pictures life here on earth as a battle, a war. David writes in the 144th psalm Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands. For war. (laughs) My fingers for battle. In other words, yes, life is a struggle, but in God we find everything we need to win the battle. But it is a battle that has to be fought. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. In other words, I may think I'm at the mercy of other people and powers and institutions, but the truth is God empowers me to take responsibility for my life and move it ahead for his glory. Life is a battle. And in this battle, Paul goes on to tell us, armor is required. In other words, you don't want to go into this battle naked (laughs) because uh, if you're naked, you have all kinds of vulnerable places. Right? You want to be sure they're protected. I remember, I used to be a catcher in baseball. And those of you who played baseball may know, the, la- the last thing the coach always told you is you ran out for the first inning in the field if you were a catcher. You don't remember? You got your cup on? <laughs> right? <laughs> because he knew, yeah, he probably only didn't have a lot of catchers on the bench and he knew one bad bounce could end your game in a hurry. Armor is required for life. God is saying to you today, got your cup on? Are you ready for battle? Are you wandering out into life thinking that, well, it's just going to flow your way, and after all, you're a Christian, so God's going to make sure that all the skids are greased, etc. Not the way life here on earth works. Not at all. Therefore, says Paul, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be ready to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows the evil one take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of God a battle we are in a spiritual battle and it requires spiritual armor we have a tendency when this battle flares up in our life to reach for a physical weapon to fight a spiritual war but according to Paul It is realities in the spiritual world like your salvation, like the breastplate of righteousness, like your faith, like the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. (laughs) These are not the normal weapons we think of people taking to warfare, but this is a spiritual battle and it is fought on the basis of principles, ideas. If you've linked on in your life to some eternal spiritual principle from God's Word and you've said, I'm going to live by this, it was like taking up a sword and saying, I'm going to fight this battle based on this principle that God has placed in my hand. In his book, uh, The Road Less Traveled, back to that, uh, Scott Peck talks about these as disciplines you can put in there where he uses tools, you can put in weapons. Discipline, he says, is the basic set of tools that we require to solve life's problems. I would say, in the spiritual sense, discipline are the weapons that we use to win life's battle. Without discipline, we can solve nothing. With only some discipline we can solve only some problems with total discipline we can solve all problems in his book he goes on to say to be free people we must assume responsibility for ourselves God gives us what we need we have to take it if the word of God the Bible is like a sword okay." That sword doesn't do you any good unless you take it up and use it, right? The Bible is full of promises, full of ideas, full of concepts, full of eternal truths. But if I don't, by faith, pick them up and use them, they do me little or no good. We must assume responsibility, but in doing so, we must possess the capacity to reject responsibility that is not truly ours. You ever done that? You got a Bible verse, you're going to plug it into somebody else's life. <laughs> you can't do that. Okay? God gave it to you to put it into your life. I always love it when somebody's leaving church at the end of a service and they'll go, oh, I only wish so-and-so, usually their husband, was there to hear this. <laughs> and I'll usually have to tell them, I think God had exactly the people here who were supposed to be here. So if you heard it, maybe it was for you. He's probably not ready, he's a knucklehead. To be organized and efficient, to live wisely, we must daily delay gratification. Now, that's a psychologist's way of saying what the Bible teaches throughout. As we fight this battle down here on earth, we have to keep clear in our minds, one of the ideas we're fighting with, this world is not all there is. There's much more that lies ahead, that when we get into eternity... Our lives here will be like a little blink of the eye compared to what lies ahead for us. And if we keep those things in perspective, we'll do well. Keep an eye on the future. Yet to live joyously, we must also possess the capacity, when it is not destructive, to live in the present and to act spontaneously. Good words from M. Scott Peck. Uh, As we take up weapons, notice what... Paul says in a biblical sense about this same idea. We, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world wages war. The weapons that we fight with are the weapons, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to m- demolish strongholds. Now, what kind of strongholds is he talking about? Well, spiritual strongholds. <laughs> like take for instance if you've ever struggled with an addiction or some other compulsive behavior Um, there are several layers to the addiction and there's certainly a physiological layer there's a mental and emotional and a sociological layer but there's also at the deepest level a spiritual layer between you and God and so the only thing that can free you on that spiritual level The only thing that can bring down that stronghold is a spiritual principle, a spiritual weapon. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Pet goes on to suggest a few things in psychological language. The willingness to delay gratification. The acceptance of responsibility. The dedication to truth, which means the rejection of lies. And the learning to be flexible. Another word for that is creative. Well, life is a battle. Armor is required. And God is our captain he's in charge of the battle it's not your battle it's his you're just fighting it he's trusting you to fight it. Paul continues and pray in the spirit on all occasions in other words remember prayer here is Paul's using it he's not saying ask God for stuff he's saying stay in communication with God as you would if you were part of a battalion and you were at war you'd want to hear from those who are in charge. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul's inviting them to get on the same page with him. For which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. We stay in touch with God because he's the captain of battle. That probably isn't the way, through the lens of the New Testament, you've come to think of him. Most of us like to think of God as our Heavenly Father. Jesus invited us to do so. But you need to know that his um, expression of who he is is much more diverse than that. Of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the chief warrior. Peck writes it this way. No words can be said, no teaching can be taught that will relieve spiritual travelers from the necessity of picking their own way. (laughs) And God leaves us with that, doesn't he? He leaves us to choose our own way. We can choose His way as our way. We can choose to fight the battles that are His battles, but we have to make them our own. Working out with effort and anxiety their own paths through the unique circumstances of their own lives toward the identification of their individual selves with God. In other words, who we are in God. Who God made us To be your battle, I don't know if you notice this, isn't identical to my battle. (laughs) We all have a battle, that's what the text said. We all have been given weapons with which to fight this battle, but your battle and my battle are not identical. I have to identify where is my battle, what has God resourced me with to fight this battle, and how is God leading and directing me in this battle. I love these words of scripture from Exodus 15. This is actually a song that was written by Moses' sister, Miriam. Um, The occasion was, most songs were written out of some occasion, and this one had a fabulous occasion. Remember when the children of Israel were caught in slavery in Egypt? (laughs) And uh, God was going to set them free, and he was going to use Moses to lead them. Well, at last, after a series of plagues, the final plague caused Pharaoh to release his grip on the Egypt, on the uh, Israeli children. And so they were set free, and they headed toward the Promised Land. But they got only as far as the Red Sea, and then they noticed there was the sea in front of them. And behind them, uh, Pharaoh had changed his mind and set You've seen the Ten Commandments, right? And sent out the uh, uh, Egyptian army to pursue them. They were in trouble. Drown this way, be killed this way. As they stood there, Moses was given this word of instruction. Stand still. (laughs) That's not what you expect to hear from the general. Stand still, he said, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. So they stood still. I mean, what else could they do? A wind came and parted the sea, dried out the seabed. The is, is, uh, children of Israel passed through the Red Sea and then the waters crashed back down on the pursuing Egyptian army. Then, on the other side, as they watched the soldiers drowning, Miriam wrote this little song. <laughs> I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. Both horse and horse And rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Is that how you think of him? In the midst of your battle, that's a good way to think of him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Well, they don't write songs like that anymore, do they? (laughs) The pursuit of God, in other words, does not lead to a life that is easy or comfortable. Typically, Christians, if we felt God was setting us free from bondage in Egypt and we started toward the promised land and we got to the Red Sea, we would probably conclude either God can't be trusted or else I must have misheard from God. (laughs) But if there's trouble involved, you can pretty well bet God is also in the middle of it. He loves to use trouble. The pursuit of God does not lead to a life that is easy or comfortable, but to a life that is truly victorious. In other words, it brings you right into the midst of a battle, but a battle that you can confidently wage because you know you will be victorious. In closing, some questions for you. Are you aware that you are in the midst of a battle? Are you paying attention (laughs) The war is waging all around you, okay, all the time, even when you think things are going smoothly. Know this, it's wartime. As long as we're down here on earth, it is wartime. So, are you wearing the armor? As Paul put it in Ephesians 6, the full armor of God, in other words, All of the resources that God has made available to you, are you applying them to the battle you're in? Do you believe that victory in Christ is already yours? Because it is. All the victories that we fight on a spiritual level in Christ's name, they've already been won. They were won at the cross. We're just acting out the play. We're just participating in God's word. Isaiah puts it this way. See, it is I who have created the blacksmith who fans the coals into fame and forges a weapon fit for its work. In other words, God says, all those people who are against you and all their weapons, I'm the one who made those weapons. You might be saying, wow, God, this can't be God. Look at all the trouble we're having when the scripture seems to reveal just the opposite. Wow, look at all this trouble. We must be in the middle of God's will. It is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I allow chaos. No weapon formed against you will prevail. <laughs> in other words, I'm going to let you be in the middle of a fight. A fight that you could no way win on your own. The fight that's going to be terrifying to the bone. But know this. Forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, aren't you curious to find out there that uh, the heritage of the servants of the Lord isn't an easy and comfortable life? <laughs> it's a life where people are accusing us and people are forging weapons against us. But says Paul, you will refute them. No weapon will prevail. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. The one may be overpowered, said Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4, two can defend themselves. You're in a battle, and it was a battle you were never ever asked to wage on your own. That's the better together point. (laughs) We fight better when we fight shoulder to shoulder. Now, churches are really good at fighting, by the way, but usually against each other. (laughs) The fight that we're called to is when our brother or sister takes up a fight against sin, against some problem, against some ungodly thing, it's our job to stand with them, to fight with them, to support them, to pray with them, as Paul invited... Uh, his partners in the gospel to do. We do this better together than trying to fight all of our battles alone in secret. Now, some people do that because they think, "Oh, I don't want anybody to know that I have battles. Again, back to the first point. (laughs) We all have them, okay? You have them, I have them, we have them. We do better when we fight together. Though one may be overpowered, two... Can defend themselves. In other words, we are more confident in the spiritual battle when we fight together. Let's pray. I'm not sure how encouraging that message was, Lord, (laughs) but so truthful. Life is indeed a struggle. We found it to be so. Life for us a battle. But encouraging to know it is a battle that we cannot lose because you are our captain and it will end in your victory and your glory. And as long as we stay connected to you and the battles we're fighting are your battles, we'll be just fine. Thanks, Lord, for the reminder. So when we come back together, our fight is together. We Form your army, God. Not against physical challenges, but against a spiritual war in which you will be ultimately victorious. In Jesus' name, amen.